you're at the right place. You found your way to sacred space. With eyes of fire, no one can see the smoke from the sweet crack. listening to UMFM 101.5 out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. The lines are now open at 269-8636.
Good morning and welcome to the program. I'm your host, George Rideout, and with me as always working the soundboard is Lynn. It's good to be back after, uh, what, two weeks now of um, being away. We went down to uh, Columbus, Ohio uh, to a seminar there from uh, a past guest. And, uh, well, today is kind of a, I don't know, maybe it's a two-parter from that uh, seminar because we happened to meet a number of people there. But one in particular struck me as one that I, I certainly wanted to have on the show. And he's an author of the book called The Healing Spot, Discovering Your Ability to Heal Yourself. And it is Jan Holland, who for over 42 years as an ocean engineer was diagnosed with melanoma over 16 years ago, metastasized in 1992, and he quickly discovered that traditional medicine would not cure nor help his disease. Jan Holland then transferred his understanding of engineering principles concerning energy to the human body, mind, and spirit. He took charge of his own healing and has lived cancer-free for nearly a decade. And that's one of the things we like here to do at Sacred Space, and that is keeping it real. And there's really no better way than keeping it real than actually having someone who has done what Jan has done. And so that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. And that's who we have on the line with us, Jan himself. Are you there, Jan? Yes, I am. Good morning, George. Good morning, and welcome to the program. Thank you. It's nice to have you. Now, wow, your story there was something that when I first heard it at the seminar um, that struck me as being one of the most, well, I can't think of a, a greater thing that than someone can do. And, and, and you, you've done it. You've been there. You've done it. You've gone through it. It was uh, an interesting evolution. Maybe we'll hear some of the background on that first. So how did it all begin? And uh, maybe walk us through the, the beginning stages of it. Okay. Back in uh, 1985, I, kind of as a fluke, I went to see a dermatologist. And, uh, and uh, I had a little tag on my belt line that I wanted removed. And in the process, he noticed a couple red spots on my back. Well, melanoma is not red. But uh, he took uh, biopsies out of the two, shaved them off, and sent them off, and they came back a week later that they were melanoma. They didn't fit any of the standard criteria for melanoma. They weren't black or brown. They weren't variegated. They weren't raised. Um, they had none of the classifications. He noticed another one on my back, and he sent that in with the same result. So I had three removed at that time. Then in the fall of 91, I had another one on my right cheek, but this one just looked tan. It was small, about the size of the lead in the, an old lead pencil. And uh, after about six months of looking at that uh, and a checkup or two, I asked my doctor to remove that because I didn't feel comfortable with it. And that turned out to be melanoma again. Well, then a few months later, it metastasized to my throat and in 1992, December 29th. I don't think I'll forget that day. I had major surgery to remove that melanoma, the metastasis. Then uh, in February, while I was still recuperating, I found a lump in the same area as the original, and that turned out to be a re-metastasis, which was not encouraging. So I thought, well, if traditional medicine heal cancer for more than a couple months, I better start looking around if I wanted to be around any length of time because the, the time span between metastasis and leaving the earth plane or totally healing is pretty short. So I uh, had kind of by accident in March of that year come in contact with Judy Burkhammer who 
gave psychic readings at that time. She channeled St. Titus, and uh, Titus would give you a reading on health or uh, past lives or whatever you were interested in. Judy has since passed on, unfortunately, about two years ago. But I had a psychic reading, and uh, it seems like the thing that Titus told me that I remember the most was that you need to learn to love yourself. It seemed like every other line he would say, love thyself, and that's a very important key to your healing. In April, then, I had surgery April 1st. In fact, I don't think surgeons have a, a real good sense of humor because when I asked him if I showed up on April 1st for surgery, would he be there? He didn't, didn't see any humor at all. I have a <laughs> sister who was born on April 1st, and it took me about three weeks to convince my teacher when I was in grade school that I had a new sister. She thought it was an April Fool's joke. <laughs> I don't know if you celebrate April Fool's in Canada yes, or not. Yes, we do. Yeah, we do. We tend to here. Yeah. So then in May, uh, I had been a member of the Association for Research and Enlightenment, which is a group founded uh, by Edgar Casey back about 50 years ago. He, uh, Casey was a psychic. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Yeah. He did uh, about 14,100 readings, of which 12,500 or 600 were on health and healing. And people would send him... Uh, their name and so on, and he would go into a trance and tell them what their problem was and give them simple cures, usually like uh, chiropractic or coke syrup or different things that were available at that time. And his uh, success rate in diagnosis and so on was about 80%, which was excellent. Yeah, pretty amazing. The ARE Clinic is located in Phoenix, and it was run by Dr. Bill McGarry. They had a program called the Temple Beautiful Program. And if you went into that program, it was a very intensive 10-day program. And you were taught all of those things that you don't learn about in allopathic medicine. We studied dreams. They're used to connect with the subconscious and meditation for the same reason. Visualization, affirmations, colonics, massage, some art therapy, which I'm not much of an artist, but it was kind of interesting. Uh, then we were taught a little music and dance therapy and prayer, the purposes of diet and uh, the Casey diet for cancer, as well as the Casey remedies. Well, of those, two things really stuck. The dream work. I had never, well, I guess I had about one dream a year. It was in black and white, and I probably didn't remember it. So when they told me they were going to teach me how to dream, I thought, well, sure, yeah, right. But they told me how to do it, and that night I had three dreams, which I was able to remember, so I was very much impressed by that. I had been scheduled to go to the Mayo Clinic the week after the Temple Beautiful program, because when I had my first surgery, I lost my voice. I could just whisper. The nerves that controlled one vocal cord were damaged somehow, or cut, I think probably damaged. And... Uh, they were going to stretch the vocal cord that didn't work across the opening in the voice box and then stitch it in place so that it would be there. Uh, what happens when you speak, the vocal cords pop over the middle of the voice box, the air flows by and they vibrate. And so if you have two, you can make a normal sound. With one, you can make almost no sound. So I asked the doctor in charge there at the Temple Beautiful program, Dr. Bill, I said, should I go to the Mayo Clinic and have that surgery? And he looked at me for a moment, and he said, well, why don't you dream on it? Well, you know, that had never occurred to me. I, I wasn't used to using dreams. 
says your subconscious will know what you need to do. So that night I programmed for a dream and uh, asked if I should go to the Mayo Clinic. And I saw the, the following dream play by. I was watching a weather map like on TV, uh, kind of like Willard's weather map or whoever you have up there. But across the center was a little ticker tape going and it had like colons and commas and asterisks and once in a while a letter and it looked like something written backwards. I said, I can't understand that. It was kind of a lucid dream. So at that point, the, the map shifted to up around Minnesota. So I said, well, I can take that to mean the Mayo Clinic. So the map went away. A little while later, it came back, but this time it showed the eastern U.S. out to Minnesota. And it showed a little car. It was the Mickey Mouse car with the bandages or band-aids on the tires and the little open convertible. And it was just kind of bouncing between Pennsylvania and Minnesota. And we had planned to fly from Phoenix back to Pennsylvania and drive out to Minnesota for the surgery. The next thing I saw was a long, long front-end back black limousine. And it had a chauffeur driving it, and I was this little bitty person. I was so small, and I was sitting in the back seat that I couldn't even see out the window. And the last thing that I saw was a picture of a desk, and it had an 8 by 11 pieces of paper on it with a blue header on it. I really didn't know anything about analyzing dreams at that point, so the next morning they had a group that was always there, and they'd breakfast with us that would analyze your dreams for you. So I told them what my dream was, and they said, oh, that's easy. They said, sure, you can go to the Mayo Clinic and have this Mickey Mouse operation, which was a little Mickey Mouse car, but I'm not in control. I was the little boy in the backseat of the car. Somebody else is running me around. And all I'm going to have to show for it is a big bunch of bills. And the pieces of paper on the desk were looked like my insurance claim forms. So I called up that afternoon and, and canceled my visit to the Mayo Clinic. They're not to be a good thing to do. I didn't need any more surgery. Later on that summer, we were traveling out west in Wyoming, and I'd had a toothache. And it would come and go, and it really wasn't bothersome. I woke up one night, and we were visiting friends near Laramie, and it was just killing me, so I took a couple aspirin. It didn't help, so I took a couple more. It didn't help. So I thought, well, you know, I've learned all of these interesting things to work with the mind. Maybe I should try one. So I got up and found a comfortable spot to sit and thought I would try visualization. So I sat there for a while, and I was just not getting anything. Nothing would seem to come. I couldn't visualize my tooth. I couldn't visualize the nerve going to tooth. I couldn't even visualize my mouth or anything. So finally, I saw this burst of energy. It was like a sunburst or something. It was red with yellow around the edges. And it was like a fireball. And so it was great big, and then it got smaller and smaller and went away. And I watched a couple, three of those go by, and I thought, well, geez, that's a fireball. That ought to have a lot of energy. So I thought, I'll just see if that can heal my tooth. Every time I saw one and started to shrink, I'd say, go heal my tooth. And just talk to it. And I did that probably for 30 fireballs. Well, I sat there after they stopped, and within five minutes, the pain started to go away. Within 10 minutes, I got up, went back to bed, and in about 15 minutes, I probably was sound asleep again. And it never bothered me again. Well, as time went on, I learned that if I was doing something that was good for my healing, I would see that spot come on. It wasn't always red, 
but it was always the same general character shape and so on. And so then I learned that I could ask it questions over the communication with my subconscious. Should I do this? Is it good for my healing? And if the answer was yes, I would see the spot and it would come on. If the answer was no, it wouldn't. So I began to use it for guidance. Well, my wife at that time had had neck, shoulder, and arm pain for, I don't know, between five and ten years, and we'd exhausted all of medical technology trying to solve it. We'd gone to neurologists and orthopedic surgeons and neurosurgeons and so on, um, rheumatologists, and no one had, a, had an answer. So she was on pain medication continually. So I thought, I wonder if this spot can heal someone else. Well, I woke up early in the morning and, and Lois was just laying there, so I said, when the spot appeared, go heal Lois's shoulder. And I watched 20, 30 of them go by, and each time I asked it to go heal Lois's shoulder. Sure enough, within about five minutes, the pain started to go away. Within about 15 minutes, it was completely gone, and it stayed away for about three days, and then it came back. So I, it was just kind of an experiment. So I wondered if maybe this was not what was intended to heal her shoulder. So I asked the spot if it was intended to heal permanently, and it said no. And I think that was because it was on her life plan to understand the reasons for her shoulder pain. And when she worked through them, which we did after I learned hypnosis, uh, her shoulder's been pain-free now for must be 10 years. Wow. And she has no further problems with it. Well, in August of 93, I got involved in an experimental melanoma vaccine program on the West Coast. It was supposed to reduce the incidence of reoccurrences by 30%. And I started the, pro the program, I think it was the 1st of August. I had uh, x-rays every month and would go out and, and get my vaccination and uh, come back. In December, I usually get the x-rays here and then just take them with me. December 7th, which is Pearl Harbor Day, I got my x-rays back and uh, they had found another metastasis, which was not a very delightful day. That was stage four at that point. So I flew out to California, took my x-rays, and I went out for my vaccine. They explained that I should continue in their program because each new melanoma has somewhat of a different genetic makeup and therefore it might protect against other melanomas even though it didn't for this one. At that time, we had been investigating all of the different non-traditional things that we could find for healing. And one of the things we were doing, um, we had gotten a hold of a book called uh, You Are Psychic by Pete Sanders. And he developed a course to develop your psychic ability called the Free Soul Course. It was a 10-week course once a week. And in that, there was a section on healing, but we hadn't gotten to it yet. So on the plane on the way out, I kind of read ahead in the book, and it said, use your psychic senses to try and learn everything you can about any disease that you might have. For example, what caused it, what you need to do to heal it, uh, does it have a name or anything like that, or a symbol that's appropriate for it. So I was sitting there using all four of my psychic senses on the plane. I was using my clairvoyance, my clairaudience, my intuition, and 
my ability to feel and trying to come up with, you know, what's the cause, what's the cure, anything I could learn about it. And I just wasn't getting anything at all. So finally, when I got to what is a symbol, I went through all of my sensors and I came to my uh, ability to see. I thought I could see something, although it was pretty dark. There was kind of a spotlight in the middle of my vision, but it was dark around the edge. And finally, I sensed this animal moving diagonally from the bottom right corner to the top left and finally it appeared in that white spot in the middle and it was a rat and it kind of turned and looked at me and had a red eye and I could only see the left side so it had a left red eye so my cancer then became the red-eyed rat as a symbol now when they found the last metastasis I started doing two things First was use an affirmation, which is basically a verbal uh, visualization. It just talks to your subconscious. I repeated the affirmation for 15, 20 minutes while I drove to work, 15, 20 minutes while I yeah, drove home, and then on the weekends as well. So you're telling your subconscious what you want to have happen. And if you repeat it and repeat it and repeat it, your subconscious begins to believe that, yes, in fact, that's what you'd like to have, and it'll help you, help you heal. I developed the, the affirmation while I was driving. When I was on the West Coast, I stayed with my niece in Riverside, California. And it was an hour and a half to our drive to the airport. And if you're familiar with Los Angeles traffic, why well, it's pretty horrific. So you're stuck in about six lanes of traffic going one way at about 80 miles an hour. So I started thinking about what should I have in my affirmation. And I, I finally worked out an affirmation that uh, included all those things I thought were essential to have. And it went like this, uh, from the Lord God of my being to the red-eyed rat and all these cancerous friends in my body, you are dead. You are being removed by my immune system. You will be completely replaced with normal, healthy cells, and you'll be completely gone by my next x-ray. And then so be it. And after I would repeat it, I would breathe in and out three times. I'd breathe in good things like joy, peace, health, happiness, harmony and breathe out anything negative like anger, fear, hate, jealousy, whatever it might be. I just kept doing that from the time I learned about that last metastasis. At the same time, I had read a book called The Trial and Persecution of Gaston Nissens. It was a Canadian, lived over in Rockville, Rockland, I guess it is, over east of you. And he had developed this compound. I was totally harmless, basically. You could squirt it in your eye. It wouldn't do a thing. It wasn't caustic. It wasn't any kind of chemo. And it was injected into the lymphatic system. It was available by prescription. And I decided that I would go ahead and, and try that as well, because I figured here's another opportunity to, to, to heal. And when you're looking at kind of looking death in the eye, you want to do everything that you can if you want to stay here. Mm-hmm. So I went up to Canada and got um, a prescription filled. And the way you use this, you inject it 21 days, wait three or four days, and then do another 21-day injection series. And I did that three different times, separated by about three or four months. At that time, uh, I worked with Danielle, his step-grandson, who would do blood work. And this is was a microbiologist and he had developed this compound and learned that with his microscope, which was a, uh, just a clear field microscope, 
normal microscope, but with an intense light. He could see small particles in the blood when people have disease. He called these somatids, which I guess in French means little particle. And if these somatids, they had a certain life cycle, and if they got above the ninth stage, it meant that you had problems, something major. Uh, like for me, it was cancer. And so this gave me a way of keeping track of how I was doing in healing the disease. If you get rid of those higher stages, then you're returning to health. So I started the injections in about, uh, I think it was December 17th. And that was a good experience for me for uh, one reason. It, it took almost an hour to give the shots. For 15 minutes, you'd ice down the lymph node, which was in the groin that you were going to use, and then take about 15 minutes to give the shot and a little bit at a time. And then you sit there for 15 minutes with ice on the area, and then I'd just sit the rest of the hour and do my uh, meditation work. Wow. I'd usually start out doing my affirmation in 15 minutes, then I'd meditate for 15 minutes. And then I'd kind of pick up anything else that uh, I wasn't finished with, so it gave me a nice quiet time in the morning first thing. During one of those sessions when I was uh, doing my meditation and asking if this was uh, helpful to me, I saw my healing spot, but it was in a heart shape and it was purplish, which meant uh, that it was beneficial and it was helping me. And the purple color said that the spiritual aspects of it were also important, not just the 714X alone. I had been wondering, I had been plotting the uh, size of the lesion in my lung. Every time I'd get an x-ray, I'd go in with my calipers the minute they got it dry and put it up on the box and measure it. So I'd been plotting the volume and the diameter of this little lesion. And I got to wondering, what should I do if they wanted to remove it? Because I'd been through one major surgery and knew how deleterious I can be on your health and mindset and everything else. So during my meditation, a couple of day after Christmas, I guess it was, I sat there and said, okay, if they want to do surgery, should I go ahead and have surgery again? And uh, after a little bit, I kind of drifted off, and I saw myself talking to the doctor that was in charge of the vaccine program. And we were discussing the surgery, and the last thing that I said was, well, I guess you would want to remove a few lymph nodes then. And he said, oh, yes, we'd, we'd do a few lymph nodes around the, the site, you know. So I said, well, I guess then I, I don't want to do the surgery. When I had my first major surgery, they removed 53 lymph nodes from the right side of my neck and 26 from the left, and none of those had any sign of cancer. Wow. So I lost all those lymph nodes and basically my image system in the neck for nothing. Well, I'm going to stop you there in your story, John. We're okay. going to go to our first break. When we come back, we'll let you continue on. Okay, great. Okay, so here's a song by uh, Hot House Flowers, and I can see clearly now. Enjoy.
Welcome back to the program. You're listening to Sacred Space here on CJUM 101.5 FM out of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. 
And we're sitting here talking with Jan Holland, the author of The Healing Spot, Discovering Your Ability to Heal Yourself. And Jan uh, did it himself. He healed himself from his uh, cancer, and he's telling us his story. And uh, so maybe we'll just continue right on here. I hate it to interrupt you, but... Uh, that's you know sometimes we got to do those things, but because <laughs> your telling of your story is riveting and you're doing it so well. Why, thank you. Yes, I was just telling about the meditation that I had, where I asked, should I uh, have another surgery if the doctors wanted to remove the lesion from my lung, and my subconscious basically said no. Now one of the other. Uh, modalities that I picked up at the ARE clinic was massage. I found massage to be a wonderful thing. It's very relaxing, it's energy balancing and so on, particularly if you find a massage therapist who does energy work as well as just straight massage. <clears throat> I found that when I was working with my, or getting a massage, my massage therapist and I could watch whatever visions I was having and I had been seeing different things and came to realize that these were probably past life experiences as well as inputs from my subconscious, superconscious. On uh, January 6th of 94, I was getting a massage and I was sitting there watching and I see a helicopter and it's like dangling this big uh, object underneath it. It goes over and there's a volcano on my right and most of this is tones of red for some reason and it dropped this object into the volcano. And the volcano erupted and boiled over and everything rolled down the side, including this big object, went into a cave at the bottom of the volcano. And then a bunch of rocks and stuff fell down on top of it and sealed it up. And after I experienced that, I asked my massage therapist, did you watch that? And she said, yes. And I says, well, what did you think it was? And she said, well, that was the red-eyed rat hanging under a helicopter, went over got dropped into the volcano, and it boiled over, went into the cave, and got sealed up. And to me, that meant the red-eyed rat was done for, which I thought was a pretty nice thing to have happen. Uh, about a week later, I uh, got to wondering how much effect the 714X had on my healing. And so I asked my healing spot, you know, could it heal my, my cancer? And I got an imperfect spot. It was about three-quarters of a spot, which meant that it did help, but it by itself was not capable of completely healing my cancer. Then when I asked, <clears throat> did my affirmation heal my cancer? And I got a beautiful blue healing spot with green sparkles. Well, the, the blue means spiritual things, so the spiritual work I was doing was helping, and the green is healing, so the spiritual work and so on was, was healing my cancer. In March of that year, 94, was my last visit uh, to the clinic for vaccination. I had told them that I was taking 714X and that I was working with an affirmation and so on, and so they knew exactly what I was doing. So the head of the <clears throat> program came in and, and said, well, you know, the uh, growth rate on the lesion has slowed down it's time to remove it. So I said, well, how would you do that? He said, well, you know, we could just go in between the ribs and, and cut it out and bring it out, which would mean they'd bring a piece of lung out. So I said, well, how do you know where it is? You just have an x-ray. He said, well, <clears throat> we could do a CAT scan. We could, we could locate where it is 
said, well, it looks like it's bigger, you know, it's too big to come out between the ribs. How would you get it out? He said, well, he thought it was, so we could just cut the rib out. That's not a problem. I said, well, how do you put the rib back? Well, he thought for a while, and then he said, well, we could put a stainless steel plate over it. I thought, well, that's really nice. And he was still thinking, so after a while, I said, well, you know, you're right. Uh, it really would be better if we just cracked the sternum and spread the ribs apart and took the lung out. And that way I could run my fingers over the lung, and I could find maybe even smaller lumps than that particular one. I could also check the right lung. Well, that really didn't sound too terrific. My uh, aunt had uh, rheumatic fever when she was a child, had bad valves in her heart, and she had open heart surgery three times and the last one killed her but she said the first time she had it it was just like being run over by a very large truck you know there's nothing like it that she'd ever experienced so I said well I guess you'd probably want to remove some lymph nodes then and the doctor said yes and we blew some around the uh, area of the lesion so I said well then I guess I don't want to continue in the program and he just gave me such an incredulous look that, I don't know, it really kind of bothered me. I never thought I was that dumb, but... <laughs> so finally I said in my defense, well, don't you ever use your intuition? Don't you ever get feelings about what you need to do to help people heal or what you should or shouldn't do? And he wouldn't even speak to me. <laughs> so from that point on, I was on my own. While I was flying back on the plane. I thought, well, now I've gone and done it. There's nobody looking out for me. But on the other hand, boy, it really makes you work harder. Mm-hmm. knowing that there's no one else out there mm-hmm. that's going to help you. Well, within a month, I just knew that that cancer was dead. It may not be moved out of my body yet, but I knew it was gone. And when I realized that, I got so relaxed, I could have sat and watched grass grow for a week without it fading. <laughs> I couldn't do my regret or my uh, meditation work. I, I couldn't do anything at all, practically. I just kind of was a blob. I waited for about four months till August to get an x-ray because I felt that the uh, radiation that you get from the x-rays is bad for you. And Titus, I had a second Titus reading which indicated the same thing. In fact, he gave me a poultice to use to begin to pull the, the radiation out of your lungs gradually. So in August, I went in and, uh, to my local doctor here in the State College area. I always got an x-ray the day before and had my blood work, and then I'd go in the following day and talk to him. So when I went in, he, he finally came in, and he had this big folder by then, and he said, they're thumbing through it. So I finally said, well, did you get my x-ray? Yep. So I'm waiting and waiting, and so finally said, well, did you see anything? He says, nope. So finally he says, well, let's check you out. So he put me on the table, and checked everything, liver and all. He says, well, you know, he says, it's not very often I'm impressed, but when I am, I don't mind saying so. He says, you know, it's been a long, long time, a long, 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 long time since I've seen anything like this. I thought, well, that's good confirmation. So that's kind of how I got through my disease. I realized at that point I'd been in engineering for eons, and it's working with computers and things. I knew that was not my path anymore. I'd, I'd learned an awful lot about healing. So 
I started looking around for ways that I could help other people that had medical problems, help them heal. And I studied shamanism. Uh, for a year or two, I went to, to the Ozark Research Institute in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and learned about dowsing. I became heavily involved in dowsing for well, a couple of years. And then my wife happened to be reading Venture Inward one day, which is the publication from the ARE in, in Virginia Beach. They had an ad in there for hypnosis. And she looks over at me and she says, you know, you really ought to take this course. It was a certification course for hypnotherapy. And I said, why would I want to do that? I had no knowledge about what hypnosis was or how it worked at that time. So since I was into dowsing, I got out my pendulum and I doused, should I take the course? And it said yes, 100%. And I thought, well, that probably isn't right. So a week later, she said, did you sign up for that course yet? And I said, no. So I checked again, and it said, sure enough, 100%, I should take the course. But I just didn't get around to signing up. So finally, a week later, she says, you know, you better sign up for that course. <laughs> that course fills up and you won't get in it. <laughs> I did. And once I did, I never looked back because I realized that with hypnosis, you can talk directly to the subconscious or the high self, and the subconscious has all of the information that you'll ever need to heal. It has all of your life information, uh, pre-life, between lives, and past lives. So I started, after I was certified, I started working with people, helping them heal. And most hypnotherapists, I think, use direct hypnosis. There's two, two types, direct and indirect. The direct type you would use if you want to uh, reprogram your subconscious mind to do something. For example, if you were smoking heavily and you wanted to quit smoking, you would enlist your subconscious's help by making a tape, directing it to do what you want to do. You would tell it all of the reasons that you would like to quit smoking. You know, it improves your health. Uh, your lungs will start clearing out. You'll feel better. Uh, you won't spend so much money. You won't burn holes in your clothes from lighting cigarettes and all this other stuff. And you make a tape of that and play it morning and night for a month at least, preferably two, and it'll convince your subconscious that, yes, you do want to quit smoking. And since smoking is a habit, your subconscious is kind of in control of it, and it'll help you uh, quit smoking. The type I do is non-directed. I never know where we're going. Uh, initially, when I first started working with people, I would douse out where we needed to start, what age we needed to go back to, what year, things like that. But then I found people were becoming pretty intuitive, and they could sense what I was thinking, so I stopped doing that. Now I know nothing about what's going to happen. When a client comes in, we take a case history, and <clears throat> we simply find out what are the reasons that they're there and what they would like to accomplish. And once we know that, we just talk to the person, put them in a light trance, and ask them to go back to the cause of whatever it is they want to know about. It's a very simple process, but yet it's very, very effective. Now, if you're working on a major disease, uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about what a healthy body is and what a diseased body has. Yeah, what's the difference? Yeah, and in, in, um, we'll talk about two energy systems, the uh, chakras, or as I guess it's properly called the chakras, but I grew up hearing chakras, so I'll use that terminology. There are seven chakras in the body, which are 
crown chakra on the top of the head, a third eye chakra on your brow, throat chakra, heart chakra, solar plexus, the sacral chakra, which is located near the navel and the root at the base of the spinal column. The middle five have a front and a back opening. Now, in order for the body to be healthy, all of those openings must be unblocked and able to pass energy freely. Sometimes I run into people that have breaks between the front and back or between the crown and some of the others. Those have to be repaired. So when you're healthy, all of those openings are clear and able to pass energy. Now, those are connected to those seven chakras, are connected to the endocrine system glands, one for each, and to the layers of the aura. The root chakra would be to the first layer of the aura, which is right around the body, and the second to the second layer out, and the crown to the farthest out. Now, each of those uh, chakras or energy centers has a different frequency of vibration associated with it, the root being the lowest, the crown being the highest. The same with the aura. The layer closest to the body is the lowest frequency of vibration, and the one farthest away is the highest frequency of vibration. Now, how do we get disease? If we have a healthy aura, which is just the energy around your body, it's uniform pretty much all the way around your body. It looks somewhat like a cylinder. Now, we all experience negative things in our lives, negative emotions, negative energies. We can start any time after conception. Most people, by their up to the age of two, have begun to experience negative things. Maybe somebody frightens us. I've seen doctors come in and there's a baby on the table and they'll, they'll slap their hands on either side of the baby and the poor baby will just go, ah! Mm-hmm. And they'll say, oh, what a nice startle response. <laughs> well, it just frightened the baby half to death. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you experience fear like that, or anger, or maybe you're angry because you're wet and didn't get changed, or you're hungry, you store that emotion somewhere in your body. Once you start storing, say, anger in a certain area, you'll normally continue to store anger in that same part of the body. As time goes on, days, weeks, months, years later, you keep storing those little emotions in the same spot, and that energy builds and builds and builds until finally you get to a point where you have what I would call a hole, and that's because the energy you've stored is approximately equal to the energy of the aura. That creates a hole. Sometimes you get a tear, which means there's a a void in your and it goes from that point on your body all the way to the floor so it goes down through your body now when that happens things that you always have in your body that are not a problem begin to be a problem for example uh, if the hole is where you have parasites or bacteria or viruses and we all do have those three things in our body the parasites or bacteria or viruses can begin to multiply and it can get out of hand where they never were a problem before if we happen to store these negative emotions uh, in blood vessels or around the heart, we can start building up plaque where we didn't before. Or wherever that hole is, you can have abnormal cell growth that were not a problem before. Now, the angels say that if you have a tumor in an area, 
where there is no hole, that tumor will be benign. If you have a hole and you have abnormal cell growth, it's going to be cancerous, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I've generally found that to be true. Hmm. Now, when I first started working with people, I had learned how to clear what I will call negative entities, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, and then restore the energy or fix up holes in the aura. And I would do that by channeling energy from etheric sources. There are six of them around the horizon of the Earth, every 60 degrees. And you can locate which one that's appropriate for you to use by dowsing, if you're familiar with dowsing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you can use that energy and channel it into the top of the head. And it goes down through the body and it loosens up energies and entities. And they just kind of drift out. And when you get done, then you would run additional energy into the area of the hole or the tear, as well as into the pineal and pituitary glands. Now, sometimes I would find, and because I'm an engineer, I guess I look for this sort of thing, that people would not soak up energy readily. And I'd look down and they'd be, have very, very thick sole rubber sneakers on. So they're a good insulator. They're not grounded. They're not tied to the earth. I'd have them kick off their shoes, and then they would take up energy like everybody else. Now, when you do that kind of healing, it will clear out entities and so on, and there's three possible outcomes of it. If the person has done the work to get rid of the events that cause those, cause those emotions, then the aura will stay repaired. If I, I do a healing prayer while I'm working on them, if the prayer works, then it will stay healed. And if neither of those things occur, then the aura is going to degrade back to what it was before. I found it in, well, like with uh, Lois with her neck, shoulder, and arm pain. If I just ran energy in the crown chakra, it would repair the aura, but it would only last two to three days. Later on, when I started doing hands-on energy work, I found that that would last for about a week. But what happens is since you haven't gone and found the events that were the cause of those emotions that are causing the hole in the aura, that just, those emotions just bleed off the extra energy that you've added. So you need to go in, find the cause, and remove the emotions. Now, hypnotherapy is, I think, kind of uniquely useful for that. It's useful for all sorts of different, uh, both diseases and questions that people might have. Uh, for example, uh, things like spirit releasement can be readily done with hypnotherapy. You can just do plain old past life regression, which may or may not be healing. I've had people that play the what-if game, and this is probably quite common for most people. Uh, I had one woman who came in, and she had met a nice young man. She was in her mid-50s, I would say. Uh, she had met a nice young man when she was in her 20s, early 20s, and he was about the same age. And for some reason, they broke up. And she always wondered, what if I had married him instead of breaking up? What would life be like? Well, all of that information is stored in the subconscious. It was one of her probable paths through this lifetime. 
and we regressed. I said, that's not a problem. We'll regress you back to the age of 21, which is when they separated, and we'll follow that probable path. We'll do progression from that point forward, which is the inverse of regression. Just look into the future. So we took her back to the age of 21, and we put her back in the relationship, and things went along famously a year or two. Uh, they got married. Within two or three years, they started having problems. In another year or so, they had split up. And come about age 35, I think it was, she had met the man that she's now with and had gone on just the same from that point on. Hmm. So there were different ways that you could go through life, for her at least, and yet end up at exactly the same point. So that must have been something that she had chosen to experience in this life. Uh, I find that there are incurable diseases out there, Renaud's, for example, sleep apnea, stuff like that, that really aren't curable by the medical profession, but with hypnosis you can go back and find the cause of the disease and heal it. With Renaud's, it's a shutting down of the blood circulation to the extremities, and in the extreme case, you can lose fingers or fingertips and, and hands and feet and things like that, so it can get uh, to be very nasty. Things like sleep apnea. I have three brother-in-laws that have sleep apnea, and they all have the machines that pump oxygen onto their face at night. Uh, I had one client that came in. He had been to, as it turned out, it was kind of strange, my next-door neighbor is a doctor, and he had been to him for analysis and had done a sleep lab, and they found that he had sleep apnea, and so they wanted to do put the mask on him and then usually do surgery to remove uh, parts of your throat passage to make more airway. And he, he didn't really want to do that. So he had put, he had found a um, button board or whatever you call it on the web for alternative healing and uh, asked for information on sleep apnea. Turns out that another client of mine that lives about 100 miles from here had noticed the uh, announcement or the question and sent him a note saying that he should contact me so out of the blue he just called me up and told me his problem he came out and in the first session we did he regressed back to a time when it was like medieval England and uh, he was involved and had a relationship with uh, a woman who I'm not sure if it was the nobleman in charge of the castle or if it was a little farther down the chain but anyway somehow he came into disfavor with her and so she had two of the guards and herself take him out uh, to a small lake near the castle and they beat him up knocked him unconscious and threw him in the water and of course he could not breathe underwater but the cold water revived him and he came up sputtering and shouting which caught their attention as they were leaving so they came back and run a sword threw him and a few other things and threw him back in and he, he died of drowning before succumbing to the wounds and so he couldn't breathe he couldn't breathe he couldn't breathe that was half of his problem uh, we did another regression I think uh, later on to look at his sleep apnea we found one other circumstance which was similar it was a drowning where he couldn't breathe so he went back after that and went to the same doctor and had the same test, and he was fine. So I thought that was rather interesting. It just took two simple sessions to heal something like sleep apnea. 
he was an interesting client because once he learned how powerful hypnosis was, he had all sorts of things he wanted to work on. We must have worked on six or eight different sessions on different things in his life. Hmm. He wanted to work on relationships. He had come from somewhere in the Midwest, and he had had problems with people where he worked, so we worked on those relationships. And then he had some things here that he wanted to work on with the local people here, so we worked on those. It's very interesting. Things like lactose intolerance. I have a granddaughter that was lactose intolerant, and we did a regression. Must have been about a year ago. We don't get together, but about twice a year. And I had forgotten all about it, and the, the regression it was so mundane, I don't remember what it was. But we saw her in August, and she was telling my wife that she no longer has that problem. She doesn't have to take enzymes and all that sort of thing. Wow. Grief abatement is another thing that can be really easily handled by hypnosis. I had a woman who was about 86, so there is no age limit on, on working with people with hypnosis, but she didn't know what she wanted to do. And so I said, well, would you just like to maybe experience what you might do to increase your spiritual development? Well, that was great. So we regressed her back to what she needed to do, and she went back to a time when she was 12 years old. And she had come home from school, and they had taken her grandfather to the hospital. Well, in those days, children were not allowed in until they were 16. So she didn't get a chance to see him, and he died like three days later. She had been very, very close to her grandfather. That was her favorite favorite relative, you know. And she never had a chance to say goodbye or anything like that. So we were able to contact the essence or soul of her grandfather, and they had their last words, and, and he explained why he had left, and he was sorry that he couldn't have said goodbye and so on. And it brought tears to her eyes for a long time. It was a very, very emotional thing and when it was all over. She said, you know, she said, I never realized how much that had bothered me, you know. So here's that, what is that, uh, 74 years later, she finds out that it was uh, kind of an obstacle to things in her life. Wow. There's a lot of people that I work with that have chronic pain. <clears throat> I had, uh, well, Lois, of course, and they say never work with your wife, but with Lois, there was no other way out because I don't know of any other hypnotherapist that live within 100 miles of here that would be able to give us a hand. So I worked with her. But I uh, had a client that he's a Columbia Medical School graduate. He's in his 70s. And uh, he came in one day and he says, look, he says, I don't know about this regression garbage. He says, I don't know if it's true or not. He says, but I've had back pain all of my life. And uh, I would like to get rid of it. So I says, okay. So we put him into trance and regressed him back to a lifetime. It was uh, either Roman or Greek. And he was on a ship. And it was one of these sea battles. And in those days, they had these large battery of men that rowed. And he was <clears throat> one of the rowers. And he wasn't apparently rowing as hard or as fast as he was supposed to because the taskmaster that walked down the plank in the middle of the boat up behind him and hit him in the back with a two-by-four, <laughs> and it broke his back, and he had complications with it, and he died within a couple of days after that. Well, the back pain was so traumatic, he was so terrified, he was so angry, and so on. We went through and got rid of those emotions for him. 
I didn't see him for about three months, and I happened to run into him. I said, hey, how's your back doing? He says, oh, he says, I don't even want to think about it. I says, why is that? He says, well, he says, it hasn't bothered me <laughs> since we did that regression. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting, but that's the thing that you normally find. I know when I had my surgery, after I woke up, it felt like somebody had put a 100-pound concrete weight on my shoulders. I thought, well, I've had that feeling before. And about the third day in the hospital, I sat there and I said, okay, when did that happen? And I started as young as I could remember and went all through my life, and I could not remember anything that was remotely similar to that experience. And when I had my Titus reading, he told me what had happened. I had been living in Guatemala, and this was a couple thousand years ago, and I'd built a temple there. And I was in the temple with about 25 other people, and there was a rumbling, and I don't know whether the temple was not located on good ground or there was a volcanic eruption nearby or an earthquake, but the whole temple collapsed. And stones had landed on my shoulders and some on my body and crushed me, and that was where the feeling came from, that I had this tremendous weight on my shoulders. And what happens when you experience something in this lifetime that is identical to what you had in the past life. You, it's like bleed through from that life and you remember it. If you have a back injury, you might heal that injury completely, but the pain is still there. And if you go to the doctor, they can't find anything wrong. But the bleed through from that past life is what the pain is. So you need to go in and find that lifetime and then get rid of the emotions and then the pain goes away. Right, and once you deal with that, then, yep. then it's dealt with. Okay, we're going to take our, our second break here. When we come back, I have a, a number of questions to ask you. Okay, great. Okay, so enjoy uh, Peter Gabriel's I Have the Touch. Take 
Back to Sacred Space and CJUM 101.5 out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. Wow, that was interesting. I don't know where that came from. Holy. It's like it was being done for me out of the blue there. That was kind of wild. Uh, we're sitting here talking with uh, Jan Holland, uh, the author of The Healing Spot, Discovering Your Ability to Heal Yourself. And Jan's story is an amazing story and one that certainly should be shared with a whole lot of people because I think... Uh, this can really help a lot of people. I want to thank you for uh, um, taking the time and sharing your story with us, Jan, because it's it's just an amazing story. One of the questions I wanted to ask you right away was, and I was talking to a friend of mine last night, telling her, you know, I was going to have you on the show and, and a little bit of your story and some about your book and stuff. And, and she was just so amazed. Her first question to me was, the percentage of people who are able to live through something like this has got to be so minuscule. Do you know by chance, did anyone ever tell you what the percentage is? That it survived stage 4 melanoma? Yeah. I've never seen any statistics. Uh, I'm the only one in this area. I don't know how many there are in the country. I would guess a handful, but I'm not sure. You don't hear of that very darn often. No, no just got me thinking like wow like that is just uh, you don't hear about people getting through stage four mm-hmm. hi jan it's lynn hi lynn how are you doing good i just wanted to say how much 
I appreciated you going through and, and telling the story again because I know you're going back in time to a time that you really, I'm quite sure, are quite glad that you're past. So we just wanted to say how much we appreciated you telling us that story again for our viewers. That's not a problem. <laughs> I do that when I do workshops because most people are interested in how you get yeah. through something like that. Yeah. And it seems funny, you know, you'd think you wouldn't want to relive it, but I, if given the choice, I would probably do that again because if I hadn't gone through that path, I wouldn't be here now talking to you. So I think I was meant to experience that mm-hmm. so I could spread that word. One of the things that you mentioned in your book, it's just a, a, a little sentence here, and, and here, I'll just I'll speak it out and maybe we'll, I'll ask you about it. It's whenever there is a difference in intent between the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, the subconscious mind wins. Right. What exactly uh, do you mean by that? Well, the subconscious mind is in control for things regarding the body. For example, I have never yet met anyone that could kill themselves by stopping breathing. You might turn blue, you might fall over, you might go unconscious, but then your subconscious will say, "Uh uh-huh, I got you, and you start to breathe, and you come back to normal again. So in the long run, the subconscious is going to control what you do. Right, and is that that also where um, hypnotherapy can really come in handy to bring that out? Yeah, yeah. Right. Hypnosis, you can sit there and talk directly to the person's subconscious and high self. That's what makes it so unique. We didn't talk about why that is, the brainwave states and so on. If you're interested, we could mention that a bit. Yeah, okay, let's do that now before I go into my next question. Okay. Uh, there are four normal brainwave states. Beta, like we're sitting here talking now, which is the highest frequency of vibration and might run from 15 to 30 cycles per second or hertz. The next slower one, which is just the start of the sleep state, is alpha, and that would be like from 7 hertz to 15 hertz, and a little bit deeper into sleep, you're into theta, and that would be like from 3.5 to 7, and delta, you're really deep. Someone would really have to shake you to wake you up, and that would be like 1 and 3 quarter to 3.5 cycles per second. So normally, when you go into sleep, you'll come up and down about six times, and when you come up, into alpha again, your eyes will start, eyelids will start to flutter, you're in rapid eye movement, and you kind of squint. It's like you're watching something, and what you're doing is watching a dream play by. Okay, that's kind of the hypnagogic state at that point. The other thing that happens is both the hypnotherapist and yourself are able to access all four of those brainwave states when you're in trance. The only other people that can do that that I know of are the dowsers. When you're dowsing, you can access all four of those brainwave states. That's what allows you to communicate with the subconscious because the subconscious is not a fast-moving thing. It's just a mass storage device that doesn't reason very fast. Its its brainwave state is fairly low. It's below the beta state. I guess that's why some of those types of uh, um, things like um, the hemisync and um, what's that, the thing that... Uh, uh, Richard uses the zappers, why that those can be so useful. Right. The hemisync uses modulation so that it puts different tones in the right and left ear, which create tones that are much lower than you could actually hear. You couldn't hear them. They're down in maybe the cycles per second range, and you might hear down to, well, my at my stage of life, probably 50 cycles or a little bit lower I could hear. The uh, zapper uses varying frequencies so it starts out in the, maybe the beta or 
a high alpha state and slowly moves them down, although they're not really so perceptible because it is a gradual shift down into the lower frequencies, and that stimulates the brain by kind of providing impulses at lower and lower frequencies until you get down into theta. So they work a little bit differently, but they do the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. If one wanted to use that for any type of healing purposes, what wave would you want to be working in? Well, uh, it's been my experience on the way that I do the healing. And by the way, I should tell you that everything I've told you this morning is my perception of life, as it may or may not be to other people. But if a person can go back to the past life and find the event that caused the emotion, then we can just do simple little things to remove the emotion. It doesn't matter what actual brainwave frequency they're operating when they do that, as long as they're deep enough to be able to access it. That's all that's required. Okay, so there's not one over top of the other? No, No, I don't think so. Right, so you can go into those states, or at least maybe mm, recognize uh, the root cause in any one of those states. Right. Yeah. Anything from, from alpha, depending how traumatic it is. The more traumatic, you might have to go a little bit deeper to be able to pull it out if they have blocks to looking at what it is, what, what was the trauma. Right. I want to go back to something here on, and it's something that you touched in in your book, and there's, you mentioned three stages of effects of negative emotions on the physical body. I wonder if we can talk about those. Okay, the, the first is just discomfort. And uh, I was a left brain engineer, you know, and I also farm, uh, and so pain is, and discomfort is just something you get used to. You, you can't let it slow you down. So when you start collecting enough emotions in one spot in your body, the first thing you'll ever notice, particularly for a woman who's much more astute at this than, than a man would be, would be a little discomfort. You'll notice that maybe uh, your left wrist is bothering you a little bit. It's not painful. It's not, not bad. And at that point, there isn't that much energy stored in these emotions. So you just simply go in, you find the emotion, you work on the major ones. You never have to do all of the things that you have stored there. I use energy work to pull out those things that it's not necessary to process because there's a thousand little bitty guys in there that you don't have to worry about. You just pull them out. You look at the major ones. That takes care of the discomfort. Now, if you're like me and you didn't pay attention to that, (laughs) keep on, you know, months, years, and years, and years, putting more negative emotion into that same area. Now, instead of just discomfort, it starts to get painful. Pain is always the messenger. It says, look, it's time to start unloading emotions from this area. So at that point, you can still go in and start pulling out the major causes. And again, you would never do them all. You'd use energy work to pull out all the little stuff, and you can heal that. Now, if the third stage is disease, you keep dumping stuff in, supposing it's in the heart area or uh, any area really, you can get disease start to form when the aura is completely depleted in that area. Now, you can still go in, this is what I work with people all the time, and pull out the emotions involved, the events involved in their emotions. But it takes longer because there's a lot more things and you have disease which has to be reversed now. If you're working with cancer people who've gone through radiation and chemo, then you have to heal the radiation and chemo effects as well as clearing up the residual cancer and that sort of thing. So you can reverse it at any one state, but it's much easier to do it when you have discomfort than pain. It's much easier to do pain than disease. 
Yes. So the idea is don't wait. When you first detect it, go in and clear it out. Yeah, it's like the universe is telling you, and then if you, if you don't listen, it hits you on the head a little bit it harder. It sure does. And if you I still don't listen, that. it hits you a bit harder until finally it's like, okay, I guess I have to look at this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, and that brings us, actually, before I go into that, it was interesting. As you were talking about the brainwaves, I had this massive deja vu. And so whenever those kind of things happen, I just like to mention them because I, I like to give it uh, energy. So I just wanted to say that because that was it's kind of cool when, when deja vu happens and you just mm-hmm. just watch it and, and uh, give it energy. So I just wanted to give that energy. Now, as, as you were talking about the three stages of uh, effects of negative emotions, go into, um, in your next chapter, in the five main causes of pain and disease. I wonder if we can speak on that. Sure. Yeah, we've already talked about the emotions uh, that we store, and that is an energy. When you think about being angry, you can feel that throughout your whole body. You really get angry. You've got a lot of energy in your body. The next thing is what we would call thought forms. Thought forms uh, can be good or bad. Anytime you think something, that creates an energy. That energy stays there in the universe until something comes along to modify it. If it's directed at someone, it will attach to them. Uh, If you've ever been around someone who's really angry, really volatile, and just throws out that anger at everybody around them, it sticks to you. Supposing you're driving. Someone cuts you off in traffic, and you say, why that blankety-blank person, you know? That puts that energy on them. That energy, that thought form energy, is a real positive energy, and it needs to be removed from people as well. I've had some people in their healing come to the realization that they have dumped massive amounts of anger on a spouse or a parent or something, and we've had to go in and work in spirit with the person that they dumped it on and pull it back off of them. You don't want that attached to them. Okay, the third thing might be uh, what I call negative entities, and we kind of mentioned briefly before about them. There are four real kinds of negative negative entities. The first would be just earthbounds. Now, earthbounds are just souls like you and I that when they passed on did not leave the earth plane. They're just stuck here. And it's unfortunate, but they're still here. Now, they may be here for many reasons. One, they may have been very, very attached to, say, a house. Maybe they were born there, they lived all their life there, they died there. And when they die, they stay there. They may have died very suddenly, like in an automobile crash, and not realize that they're dead. They might have been in a war zone and got just blown to smithereens in just a microsecond, and they have no concept about that they have died and and passed on. If you're in a hospital, that's a wonderful place to pick up negative entities Mm -hmm. because they have people dying there all the time, and some of them were not prepared to to leave or, or move on. There is another interesting type of soul, and this does not see itself as a a, a negative entity, but it's the uh, soul of an uh, unborn baby that was either aborted or miscarried. That will attach to usually the mother, although I've had cases where it was attached to the sister of the mother because it felt safer with that person than the other. The third type would be nondescripts which are 
beings that have an intelligence, but they've never had a lifetime here on Earth. They have no body. The fourth would be an astral or an ET. Uh, these generally attach by a cord to a person, sometimes because they want to monitor what the person is doing, seeing, sensing, sometimes because the person has an agreement to be a representative for them and work with them here on the planet. And the last kind would be a demonic. Uh, we all hear about demons and so on and so forth, but uh, I don't know if you've followed Drunbalel Melchizedek's work, but he says that what we call demonics are just souls from a higher dimension that were trapped here through some experiments that the government did at uh, some time in the past. And so they should be treated like any other soul and just released and let them go back to their proper dimension. I've never actually worked with anyone who had a demonic in them. I've had some that claimed to be demonics, and I think they just wanted to impress you how, mm. how bad and nasty they were. But yeah. I've never actually had any proof that they were demonic. And how is a, a negative entity able to attach to oneself? Well, that's interesting. Uh, you can get them a number of ways. If you have a hole in your aura, you're susceptible because there's no energy there. And see, these entities <clears throat> want to keep re-experiencing life, basically. So if they were into drugs or that sort of thing, they'll find someone who takes drugs. When you're totally out of it, on drugs they can attach to you. If you have anesthesia in the hospital, you can pick up entities because you have no protection unless you're smart enough to do protection before you go in. I was not, so when I had my first surgery, I picked up a couple entities which I carried around for a couple of years. And the effect that they had on me was that when I closed my eyes, instead of just seeing a blank like TV screen, I would see red, It'd be red boiling. And when I went out to the Ozark Research Institute the first time I volunteered, or um, uh, spirit clearing with Tom Miller, and he removed two entities from me that I'd picked up when I had the surgery. When I closed my eyes after that immediately, it was a clear screen. There was no red anymore, which told me that these things do have an effect. I've had any number of people that have entities, about 65% of the people that I work with have entities as part of their problem. But they, they attach... Uh, sometimes ETs attach without your permission, I understand. But normally these are just floating around in what Scallion would call the borderland. And they can attach to you on a, on a hole, or if you're of like mind, or that sort of thing. You can have what I call contract entities. And these are souls that somewhere in the past, in different lifetimes, you have wanted something. And this soul could give you something that you wanted, and so you make an agreement. It gets to attach to you in exchange for what you wanted it to give you. Now, those are difficult to break. You can't, you can't remove them unless you break the contract. So you have to have the person break that contract, and then you can, can remove them. There's another similar type of entity, and that's what I would call best friends or lovers. Uh, you're so close to that individual. If one of them's nearing death or whatever, at some time they say, we will never part. We will always be together. And guess what? Lifetime after lifetime, they are together. If one of them is here, the other one is attached to them and vice versa. And they will always be with you. I had an experience just before I go to break here. I had this one experience um, where I used to, in the old days, I used to journey a lot. 
and uh, one of these journeys uh, I went to this play I don't I don't know what kind of place it was but this other realm I guess and what I saw were these huge luminescent lights which to me were souls and what it showed me and they were zipping through I guess space what it looked like to be space but there's occasionally there's two that were joined together and where they joined they made another complete circle and what it was telling me was that you are able to um, just like you say link up with with two souls are able to link up and stay together and almost form one soul Mm-hmm. It was rather, it was interesting, but uh, yeah, that definitely showed me that you can uh, link up with people. We'll go to our last break. Here's some uh, uh, Canadian Bruce Coburn and Soul of a Man. Stay tuned.
And welcome back to the program. You're listening to Sacred Space here on CJUM 101.5 FM out of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. We're sitting here talking with author Jan Holland. His book is The Healing Spot, Discovering Your Ability to Heal Yourself. Before we went to break, we were getting a massive amounts of phone calls, so we kind of missed a few. So uh, if you uh, if we didn't get to you, feel free to call back, and uh, we'll try and uh, um, get you through. Um, a number of questions. One, did you have to go on any kind of diet? Um, that's a good question. I never had the feeling that what I ate was going to heal my melanoma. It's such a fast-acting cancer, and I, didn't, I guess my belief system didn't support that. If your belief system supported it, it would be important. On the other hand, I'd like to say that you're a, a damn fool if you don't eat right, if you have a major disease, because you're taxing your liver and kidneys and every part of your elimination system and assimilation system in your body. So, yes, I pretty much followed the KC suggestions uh, for diet, which would be uh, no no real meat or fish uh, or chicken. I just chicken is really meat, too. I ate a lot of uh, vegetables, and uh, which I always did anyway, and uh, fruit and that sort of thing. And I did that for about two years, but I found that I was I'm very active and I could not maintain my weight with just a fruit and vegetable diet. I'd lose about a quarter of a pound a week. Well, I lost 40 pounds over the two-year period. And at that point, you can't tell whether it's because your cancers come back and you're not assimilating things properly and so on, or is it just you don't have the caloric intake and so on. So I modified my diet at that point. I had a fish and chicken and occasional beef and, and pork to what I was already eating. And so I can maintain. I've stayed steady now for about 10 years at about 162 pounds. It doesn't hardly vary a pound or two a year round. So my belief system is that it does not heal a major disease like that, but if you have uh, uh, maybe with heart uh, problems, heart disease, that sort of thing, it would be more important. But by the other token, you uh, want to eat intelligently. Now, I learned with, uh, with the healing spot earlier, and then after I learned to work with the angels, that I eat what they tell me is good for me at a particular meal, and they usually won't tell me until I'm ready to start cooking dinner or whatever, because your activities and so on, what you do during the day, basically dictates what your food needs are. So I let them uh, select at the grocery store what I buy, and when I get at home, I let them select what I should eat. It's been interesting to me because over the last few years, we've had a lot more organic food available in our grocery stores. And at least early on, and probably to this day, a lot of the times the selections are non-organic. Now, there's about ten factors in the book about foods, uh, the handling that they go through, what they were sprayed with, residual things in the soil. Uh, there are some people that say there is so much air pollution now that is you know, spread on the soil, settles on the soil, and is taken up by the plants that it doesn't make a great deal of difference whether you're eating organic or inorganic because it's polluted anyway from the atmosphere. And I'm, I have no way of verifying that, but I thought that was kind of an interesting observation and kind of fit with some of my selections of food. Mm-hmm. Why don't people always heal? That's an excellent question. Okay, there are a number of reasons why people don't heal. 
everybody has to leave at some point. And so sometimes they are ready to leave. I have had people, uh, I had one woman who came in. She had two lumps in one breast and three in the other. They were feverish. She had a red stripe across one. And I worked for eight and a half hours with her. And she came back a week later and she said that within a day she was down to just one lump left. And the fever had gone and so on. She was doing great. She went went worked second time with her. She went away a third time she came in. Everything was back. And she, when, I, when somebody comes in with a, a major illness like that, the first thing I do is sit down and ask them, you know, are you trying to leave the earth plane at this time? Because if they are, it's foolish for me to keep them here, helping them heal when they don't want to stay anyway. And she had realized that she had had a fight with her boyfriend and she was out of here. She wasn't going to stick around. She didn't want to be here. Well, by the time the third week came around, you know, she had decided that she was going to stay. By the time the third week came around, she had another argument, and she was out of here again. She hadn't even realized that she'd slipped into that mode. So we talked about it again, and she decided, yes, she really didn't want to stay. And from then on, it was no problem. The, the lumps were gone in a matter of another week or two, and she's fine now. That was like six, seven years ago. Sometimes people have on their life plan to learn to deal with certain issues in their life, like I've worked about the first five, six years with people who have been abused in this life. It's on their life plan to learn how to handle abuse. So if you were to come along and give them a magic pill or give them a shot or do some hypnosis with them and heal whatever they have, they would be denied the opportunity to meet their life plan. They were intended. It was like Lois's neck, shoulder, and arm pain. She was intended to work out the causes of that. So if you're going to interfere with the life plan, it's not going to work. Now, there's a lot of mental blocks people can have to healing. The first would be repressed memories. When you experience something very, very traumatic to you at the age you're at, so if you're young, it does not have to seem traumatic at, the, at a more mature age, what happens is a piece of your soul splits off, and we didn't really get to talking about soul loss, but a piece of your soul splits off, and it takes with it the memory of what happened. That allows you to live your life uh, rather normally until you get to such an age that your subconscious thinks that you are now mature enough to process that, and then it'll start giving you symptoms, maybe a little ache or a pain or a feeling or a discomfort or a dream that'll tell you what you need to process. Another reason people don't heal is because the medical profession doesn't treat past lives. 95% of the people that I work with have as a major cause of their present illness or whatever they're going through, a uh, mental problem or whatever. It's from past lives. Some people who have, uh, this would be a third mental problem, mental block, some people have been so traumatized that the soul popped right out of the body and it does not want to come back. Those people, you know, you've heard them probably refer, refer to as airheads, <laughs> basically, they just really aren't here in total. You need to get the soul back in the body so that they can begin to experience things and work in order to heal. Now, some people, you can clear them, and they'll just keep storing new emotions, and so they don't heal. There is a thing called resistance to healing, and I found that every, I think every person without exception that I worked with except one had resistance to healing. And that might come about, for example, if you um, are a person who goes into work and they have someone who really aggravates you, makes you angry every day. 
and if you store that anger in the heart area, you'll start storing a plaque and all these other things. This goes on days, weeks, months, years, until finally you're in such a state that, boom, you have a heart attack. Okay, you're off work. Now, you would think that that person would want to heal that heart and get back to work, but the subconscious knows if you go back to work in the same job, you're going to experience the same thing. So it really is not going to help you heal like it should. Now, the people that seem to survive that are those people who make the life changes they need to make at that point. They find a different job. They realize that there's more to life than just working at that job, and, and so they move on. So that's how resistance to healing can evolve. Some people, in their regressions, are told exactly what they need to do to heal. But they'll come back the next week, and I said, well, did you do this? Well, no, I didn't have time to do that. Well, no, I really didn't feel like doing that. So they don't follow their own advice that their subconscious has given them, so they don't heal. Then some people are just the victim of their own success. They can manifest their death. The doctor tells them, you're going to be dead in a month. Well, 30 and three-quarter days later, they fall over and put them in a box and take them away. That is a very powerful suggestion that a doctor can make, and they can manifest it just very, very easily. Some people are excellent at it. If they can manifest that, they can manifest their healing just as easily. Right. Yeah, that's self-fulfilling prophecy. It is. With the soul loss, there's one thing that I used to do. I was getting to reclaiming the, the, the soul loss that I kind of came to the realization of is that, and just exactly what you're just talking about, that at different times in our lives, we, and you call it soul loss. It's, I think it's the same thing. Um, we leave some of our energy at different areas or uh, maybe moments of our life and that's one of the things that we can do to re-energize ourselves or I guess to reclaim uh, parts of one's soul is to go back to those times and spaces and places and in a way relive them and change how one deals with it and then by doing so you can get back that energy that you lost there or or that you gave up there or gave away I guess exactly the same sort of thing only in trance you would go back you know you you know the event you, you ask the subconscious to show you the event that's causing this soul loss or whatever trauma you're working on or whatever the, the disease is and it'll find the event you work through then the emotions that were involved because those emotions will come back with the soul part so you work through those emotions then you have the person look around if uh for example, you were killed in a battle, uh, there was a big tree nearby, you might find that soul part hiding behind a tree. And the person will always know whether it's a part of them. Sometimes it looks just like them. Sometimes it looks like something they had if they were a child, maybe a doll or something that glows. Or maybe it's just a little orb or something like that. But they will be able to find that part. Often that part is not willing to come back and join, so you have to talk to it and convince it that it needs to come back to you so you can be whole. And when they agree, then you have the person just take and merge it with their heart chakra. And they will usually feel much lighter or warmth in their heart chakra when they get that back. That is a real energy loss. And you need to gather up all those parts, like you say. You also have those losses in past lives. And so when I go back to a past life with people there's a major trauma like that we gather up the soul part from that time as well yeah and it's amazing how 
well that works and the difference that that can really make within oneself and i think that's where a lot of people's you know look so down on themselves all the right. time there's their self-image right and that sure does help that a lot yep. it's amazing because you gather them from all different walks of life and ages and genders and for a woman who is, uh, is very very meek to have a 40 year old male energy sudden added suddenly added to her can make a tremendous difference in how she deals with life yeah now that was something else that, that you mentioned in your book um, if I'm if I'm remembering, is something to do with gender balance? Was that it? Gender balance or gender loss? Yes. Uh, I have had some clients that, for some reason, have completely lost one or the other of these genders, and usually they were female. Of course, you have to understand that eighty or ninety percent of my clients are female because they're the ones that are intuitive and sensitive enough to realize they have a problem and come work on it. Right. The males are too arrogant, I think, <laughs> to stoop to such. That's the little things that play with your memories and that sort of thing. Yeah. But in those cases, I found that uh, the angels would guide me to take them to an island. And on this island, they'd be walking along the beach and they would meet a person. And generally, I would ask them to look into the eyes of this person. And the eyes are the doorway to the soul, so you'll know if that's a person that you know in this particular life. And they all seem to sense that they're very familiar, but they can't place them. And if you ask them to give them a hug, sometimes they'll realize right away that that's their other half. That's that's the other gender that they've been missing, and they're they're very amazed. Uh, I had a number of those. It's funny they come in series. Usually, you find one new thing, and two or three other people show up within a few weeks that have exactly the same problem. But that's the way you reunite them with it. Uh, at least the technique that I use: you take them to an island where there are no distractions. There's nothing modern. And you walk along until you meet whoever it is you need to meet. And they can tell you who it is, and they can describe them, and they can join with them. Sometimes they aren't. They just are kind of don't know what to do. They're flustered, and but they sense that the energy is good. So then I'll just ask them to keep it for a week, and we'll talk about it the next time they come back. And when, when Usually when they come back, they've integrated it totally, so it's now a part of them. Wow. But it totally changes the way they deal with life. Yeah. Are you finding that more and more people are... I guess, having this experience or, or wanting to make those changes? Yes, I believe that's true. We're all trying to heal. That's one of our goals in this lifetime is to heal because we need to heal before we can get on with the things we came to do in this life. Almost all of the people that I've worked with over the last 10 years are meant to be healers of some sort. And if you're a healer, you need to heal your issues first so that people don't come along and punch your buttons and you end up as a basket case. Yeah, I know a few like that and people that especially healers that are, you know, they've used up so much of their own energy on others that they've, they forgot all about themselves. Mm-hmm. And now they're going through some pretty, you know, rough, rough times. Right. And then the other thing too, and then people tend to forget this. I think that just because, you know, a person is maybe vibrating at a higher level doesn't necessarily mean you're still not going to get sick. You're not going to go through certain things. Right. And, and those are, you know, what, what, you know, we've maybe made plans for ourselves to go through, and it's okay. Like, for an example, there was a, a guest that we had on, uh, God, I guess last year, and she's a, a really, well, she was, and maybe she still is, uh, a, a healer in um, Hawaii, and um, she died of cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm just really glad and fortunate that we were able to, to at least speak with her because she's just an amazing soul right. before she happened to leave here. But um, 
after having you on the program and stuff and talking about it and that different people have, have asked me well like why would this you know healer you know why would she just suddenly go ahead and, and just die like I guess it was kind of she knew she she had a problem and she just wouldn't um, do the things that some people thought she should do and she just continued on with her life doing what she was doing and then it, it you know she just I guess left and succumbed to it but it's like well that that was just I mean she didn't allow it to change who she was you know what I mean? She just continued what her path was, right. and she knew what that was, and she did it. I think we program different outs in our life where we could leave the earth plane if we choose. Like when I was young, I never thought I would live to the age of 25. When I got to 25, I was so amazed. I thought, well, I can live forever now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> but then when I uh, had my major surgery, the third day in the hospital, I went through a little out of body. When I was asked if I wanted to leave, and I said no, and... I kind of knew that there were things that I needed to do, so I came back. And I'm sure that if I had said, yes, I would like to leave, I wouldn't have survived the next day. You know? Yeah, yeah. That was probably another out that I had programmed and had no knowledge of. So uh, after everything, today's health of Jan is? It's perfect. Uh, when I was, uh, well, at the time I, I got cancer, I had asthma. I had allergies. My right hip bothered me, and uh, my elbows bothered me, and both my knees bothered me. If I'd go to a play or a movie in the evening, I'd have to keep moving my legs about every minute or so just to move the pain around. I don't have any of those things anymore. Uh, I eat pretty much what I want. I do what I want. Uh, I am taking physical exercises. I do some weight training and stuff twice a week now, but I'm in better shape now than I've been in 10, 15 years, and I have absolutely no medical problems. Wow. That's just amazing. That is so cool and awesome. Yeah. Um, one of the things that before we go here, uh, I do want to get, uh, if people want to get in touch with you, um, is there any way that they can do that? Uh, they can do it by email. And the email address is dome, D-O-M-E, at pens, P-E-N-N-S, woods, W-O-O-D-S, dot com. Or uh, by phone at uh, 814-364-9926. I also have an 800 number. I'm not sure that it works in Canada. It works in the States anyway. It's 866-494-1463. Excellent. I, um, I very much enjoyed your book. I found it it was a gentle, clear, and concise uh, and very a, well and a, written. Very well written, and and again, I can't even emphasize clear. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great, thank you so much. You know, you al- you allowed the person to to, and and it was divided up into chapters that made it in an, a, a natural progression. Yeah, mm-hmm. and made sense. Yeah, good. It, it's I'd almost call it a healing primer. <laughs> I've had people take the book and heal asthma and heal allergies and stuff like that, and I don't know what they did, which technique they used, and so on. But I'm always grateful when I hear a story that somebody's done it on their own. You know? Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's uh, one thing, and he, and he did mention his name too. That that uh, we're very, we just finished watching, well, I guess a little while ago, his uh, his tapes, and that's Drunvalo Melchizedek. And it, if my understanding is correct, you actually studied f- with him. Yes, we went through the first. Uh, Flower of Life workshops, and then we went through the Earth Sky workshops, and that was a wonderful experience. Oh, I bet, it, boy! I just watching him was amazing to be actually like in his presence. It had to be just truly, truly very, very cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. 
after you, the Earth Sky workshops, I was in hug withdrawal for about a week. There were yeah. like 55 <laughs> people there, and we got hugs morning and night, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Where did you learn your dowsing? I learned it from uh, the Ozark Research Institute, and it's run by uh, a group of dowsers who have converted over to using dowsing for healing from Walt Woods with the pendulum dowsing, and mm-hmm. Tom Millerin was the uh, L-Rod dowsing. I wanted to, to quickly ask, um, now you, you used, uh, if I'm correct, a number of different affirmations during, your, during the whole thing? Uh, for my cancer, I only used the one that I gave you about the red-eyed rat. That was the only one. That was the only one. Yeah, I used another one when I had the flu one time, which seemed to work quite well until I slipped into my cancer affirmation. Then I started getting the stomach ache and all that back and realized the subconscious only wants to work on one affirmation at a time. So, <laughs> so you can't tag-team them. <laughs> yeah, you can't tag-team It doesn't work. Yeah. Not for me, anyway. Maybe you can do it, but I can't. Yeah. No, is that one that just came to you, or did you get it from someplace? Uh, the the one for the flu? Yeah. I just made it up in the book. There are some directions for using an affirmation that give you some guidelines, and then it's just use your own words because your subconscious will understand what you're telling it because you're part of it. You know. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I enjoyed that part of the book where you talked about uh, uh, the rat being basically baked. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the rat is baked. <laughs> Ding dong, the rat is dead. I mean, yep. That was, uh, again, that's the perfect way of explaining to people visuals. Yeah. And how important. And how, and how that visual can relate to you. Yeah. And, and make it your own, for sure. Yeah. Right. yeah. A year or so later, I gave a talk to a group, uh, a church group down in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. And after the talk, uh, we went downstairs to have snacks, and there was a, a cheese plate in the corner, and it had a brown rat with one red eye, and it was just like the one I saw in my vision. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And he was plastic, so we knew he was gone, long gone. But <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just, uh, again, want to thank you. Our time is done here, and I, I want to thank you for coming on the program and uh, sharing your sacred space with our sacred space. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. Me. Yeah, it's, it's been a, a truly a pleasure, and uh, we'll definitely uh, stay in contact. Good, good. Glad all to hear it. All right. Be well. Yep. All right. And uh, we're head off here to uh, Ray Alexander and Fascinating Rhythm at the top of the hour, and uh, we'll head out with some more Bruce Coburn in what a more appropriate song, Waiting for a Miracle. Peace out.
Oh.